Bush and Richie here with your Home Time Show podcast. Let's deal with a first bit of uh, info right at the start of the week. I'm afraid the overall vote for Adam's Gems uh, came back as a zero. <laughs> People did not want to hear any more of our producer Adam's little pearls of wisdom or anything. So that feature has been completely cancelled. And you might be thinking, uh, shush, 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 no, no. No, no, no. Uh, we can talk over each other for like five minutes. That's fine if you want to keep talking, but it's not going to happen. Because there's no, no, because no. there's no, be- there's, they know it. They can rewind podcasts. They know the email address. They can walk here and put things through the door if they want. Nobody's asked for a Dems Gems. Not one single person. We have been... Can we give it a week just in case any post comes? Not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not giving it a week. Not giving it a week. And it's probably been a week and they could have posted it. Anyway, who posts things these days anyway? Yeah, so cancel the T-shirts that you haven't made and everything like that. I'm afraid the feature's off, mate. I bet they're really tight T-shirts as well if he's made them. We are genuinely bouncing with excitement at the debut later of Through the Decades, our brand new game. After six o'clock, we'll give you all the details. So we thought, just before that starts at six tonight, we'd just try and work out what we're up against. Because, of course, this is Bush and I, for the first time ever, really dabbling in the, the daily quiz format. Try and have a little discussion. What is the greatest quiz show of all time? I will start us off and wow. say that it's this one, Price is Right. Now, I, I kind of remember this. Who was, the, who was the guy in it? Who was the main the host? Well, you might be thinking you're Leslie Crowder. That's the fella. And then, of course, it became Bruce's Prices Right. Bruce Forsyth had a good old run at Prices Right. It was a great Saturday night quiz show. Was this the one where they told you to come on down? Leslie Crowther certainly did. He'd read out a random member of the audience, Andy Bush. Come on down. I feel like running now. <laughs> you might as well. Go on, they then. jog excitedly down the, uh, down the steps amongst all the other uh, audience in there. Each episode of the, uh, of the game show, they'd have loads of different... Uh, sort of almost sort of like quizzes in one game show. Yeah. Different different rounds of trying to guess the prices of things. Could have like a massive set of like, you know, a car and a fridge and a spade. And you'd have to, they'd, they'd be rushing around trying to put the right price on it. It was great. They don't do big old prices like that anymore, no, do they? they like don't. Caravans and cars rotating on plinths with, with a lady sat next to them or something. It's a different era back then, wasn't it? It was a very different very era. Very different era and back some then. Some things have changed for the better. Yes. And then there was also another um, part of it where there was like a skier going up a mountain and he'd drop off if he didn't do the right kind of. It was a crazy show. I used to love the prices, right? Reminds me of being at my nana's house in Liverpool. Yeah. Had your tea, probably had, like, uh, liver bacon and onion. Sat on the floor next to a Cali gas heater watching telly on a Saturday night. Uh, Blankety Blank says this text. I'd argue that's not really a quiz show, is it, though? That's not really a quiz. Blankety Blank. Why is that not a quiz? Well, they're not asking any questions. It's just filling in a blank. It's a good TV program. It's not a quiz. I didn't realise there was there were such rules. But I, I still love the fact that it was probably the last known use of a cheque in the United Kingdom. That's a very good point. Uh, we are very... Very excited on Home Time tonight to debut our first daily quiz after six o'clock this evening. Through the decades, you can win big cash. Uh, all the details to come. We're arguing right now what has been the greatest quiz show of all time. So you've thrown your hat in the ring with the prices, right? I have, yes. I'm going to say the greatest quiz of all time is 15 to 1. <laughs> Uh, with the guy that looked like a really annoyed undertaker, William G. Stewart. Do you remember? <laughs> I do. Really annoyed to be there. Um, and my favourite bit about it was that um, it was this weird atmosphere because they felt like he might have been holding them all hostage. And then when you're done and you're out, you sit down and turn your light off like someone closing down the main desk at, like, National Rail. But then you'd have to sit and watch everyone else still have their fun. And just sit there and eat crisps, not involved in it. I used to love that show. I'd have to say it was the most basic quiz show of all time. It would start, he'd go, hello, everybody. 
the previous winner is Bob, let's go. Yeah. And then it'd be half an hour of questions. There was nothing to it. I like it just cut to the chase. No niceties, didn't ask him where they were from. He wasn't interested. He was annoyed that they were there. I'm not having it. Not having 15 to 1. The, all the lights and everything. It was iconic. <laughs> it's never been rebooted, though, has it? 15 no, to no, 1. No, it hasn't. Uh, Ian says, boys, 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 what are you talking about? The Price is Right is not a quiz show. No questions asked. It's a game show. They play games. There is a difference. It's a good point. It's a good point, I Are guess. we ruling out, then, stuff like The Price is Right, just because they don't ask you, like, an actual gen- general knowledge question? No, I'm going to widen the debate and say that you can put in game shows, because Price is Right is just fantastic. It's iconic. It's got to be in there. Uh, unscientifically, seeing a lot of suggestions for uh, the likes of uh, 3, 2, 1 and Bullseye come in. Love Neil it. and Paul putting those ones forward. Uh, Giles, what do you want to vote for? Going for gold on an afternoon. Oh. Oh, I was thinking Kelly, wasn't he? Going, going, going for gold. Gold. The heat is on. The, the time, time is right. right. It was, a, it, it was I, I was in my teens, so it was golden when it was amazing. And it, there was this kind of coming together of nations. It'd be like someone from Switzerland yeah. waving at you or whatever, and then someone from Ireland or whatever. It's like, oh. It was back in the EU. It was. People. Yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of glad that going for gold has moved on before we've had the political debacle of the last couple of years. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to see what would have had to have happened to going for gold if it was still on our it, telly. It would have been weird, wouldn't it? Well, it certainly would have. We'd have had to um, get a permit to get on there, wouldn't we? That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and we were wearing it. <laughs> it was in our studios. <laughs> A lot of love for going for gold, uh, which uh, we spoke about earlier on. Uh, Giles putting that forward as we debate what is the greatest quiz show of all time. We've got our brand new one starting after six. But going for gold, a lot of love for the uh, quiz and the theme tune. For gold. (laughs) Hans Zimmer. Is this Hans Zimmer? Yeah, it was Hans Zimmer's work. Yeah, quite right. This and Blade Runner. That's unbelievable. Uh, Supermarket Sweep uh, has been suggested by uh, Twig, uh, great name, uh, who says it reminds me of pretending to be ill and getting the day off school. There was something good about a game show that you only got to watch when you were off school. Uh, who's it? Andrew Harrison says, what about Big Break, lads? With uh, Virgo in his extravagant waistcoats. Yeah, that was a mixture of quiz show and game show, because you had to answer questions, and then you were dependent on how good someone was at snooker as to whether you won or not. Uh, And a lot of people suggesting a game that I can't remember, because I think it was just before my time, and very rarely do you get something in the catchment that's just before my time. He says, uh, Mike Reed and Runaround. Again, look like an angry (laughs) nightclub bouncer. He's just tell the kids. You know that bit where you take a drag from a royal cigarette and go, (laughs) run around? (laughs) Very soon, if you ask someone what's the greatest game show, of all time, they'll say, through the decades with Bush and Ritchie on Home Time and Absolute Radio. That would be an honour, wouldn't it? But for now, uh, Joe, what do you think is the greatest game show of all time? Crimson Factor, baby. <laughs> Crimson Factor. Was that with Gordon Burns? It was with Gordon Burns. Yes. Why did you love that so much? Oh, I was desperate to ever go on the assault course at the end. I always wanted to go, but I was too young to um, ever get on the assault course. <laughs> Joe, the two the two great rounds in that were the assault course. You're quite right. And then the other one that you'd always want to have a go at was the flight simulator, trying to land a plane. What kind of quiz show could you try and land a plane in? It was amazing. Or oh, the other one was um, Spot the Difference. Yes. He used to do two scenes straight out of uh, a dramatisation for a French language course and he had to <laughs> guess where there was a mistake in the background or something different. Yes. It was brilliant. It was just the best. It should bring you back, actually. I really hope that assault course is still there somewhere and you can go and do it for <laughs> team building days. <laughs> 
Yeah, that would be great. Well, that didn't take long to find out online. 34 quid to do the Krypton Factor Assault course on one of those experienced websites. So it's still actually a thing? Still a thing. I'd love to wear the boiler suit. How futuristic <laughs> was it? I've just got to tell you about something that happened to me last week that was so absurd you couldn't even make it up. Right, so I sold an old guitar on Facebook Marketplace. Okay. And I don't play anymore. And uh, this guy buys it and arranges to come and collect. He says on his message, are you the guy off the radio? Yeah. So I said, yeah, that's me, that's me, yeah. Anyway, he adds that uh, him and his little lad love the show and they can't make a wait to meet me. Lovely. So, oh, that's really nice. Nice. Anyway, the next day they arrive to get the guitar. They drive all the way from South London. Lovely people and yeah. everything. Anyway, the dad then asks at the end if his little lad can have a photo with me. And I say, all right, sure, that's yeah. fine. Uh, so then something really weird happens. Uh, the little boy runs back to the car and pulls a Muppets album from the car and comes back <laughs> over to me. Uh, and then stands next to me with the Muppets album between us for the photo that his dad takes. Do you think you're Beaker or something? I know, this is, I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? He then asked me to sign the Muppets album, so the Muppets album thing goes to the next level. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm really sorry, uh, can I ask why you've brought this album with you? He says that uh, they love it when I play Manamana on the show at 5pm. <laughs> I then think, uh, right, so I, I say I'm really sorry, on our show we don't play the Muppets song at 5pm, that's not us. Turns out he thought I was Simon Mayer. Ah! Driven all the way from South London. Poor little kid got his uh, his Muppets album with him. I've signed it in a gold pen that he brought. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even know that I am. Thinks it's Simon Mayo. And uh, that for me, you know, very rarely do you get um, do you get like recognised on the radio. It doesn't really happen very yeah. often. I thought this is my moment. This is my big star moment. And I will never forget the lad's little sad face as he drove off in his dad's car, crestfallen because he hadn't met the, you know the the guy he idolised, Simon Mayo. He just met me. I love the fact that you've gone to the lengths of going along with it and signing the Muppet <laughs> album, and, and and then saying, by, by, the, by the way, what's going on? Here? I know it's weird though, isn't it? It shows that you can kind of go along with something without like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was I knelt on one knee next to him with the Muppets album, like oh. the way you present someone with a football shirt or something yeah. like that for just sign. So. Just to make me feel better about things, this hour of the show, if you've ever had a case of mistaken identity, uh, we need to hear about it right now. We're talking about your mistaken identity stories. And you actually signed the album. That's what I love about this. You went along with the mistaken identity, as did Ian, who tweets, I was walking out of M&S in Sheffield. Two girls approached me asking for a photo. Naturally, I agreed. But when I asked why, they thought I was Ant McPartlin. He was in the jungle at the time, unless he fancied flying back to Sheffield High Street. Uh, we are after your mistaken identity stories tonight on the show. We've got Patrick on the line. Patrick, mate, what happened to you? Well, I was, I was on a first date with a, a young lady, mm -hmm. and it was all going well. And then a very drunk woman came over and said, You're Ian Bill. <laughs> I said, uh, No, I'm not. And she said, no, no, you are. I said, um, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> and she was very, very insistent. Right. To the, to the point where she was going, it's the people like me that have put you in your position. You should be grateful for your <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. God. And I could only get rid of her. I had to sign a beer mat. <laughs> but I couldn't remember his real name, so I signed it Ian Bill. <laughs> <laughs> 
She went away happy. Yeah. Uh, and I carried on with my evening, but unfortunately, I didn't get a second date with the young lady I was out with. Oh, but, uh, oh. well, I'm no surprise, really, because she sat there thinking, hang on, he really does look like Ian Beale. <laughs> yeah, she might not have liked him, so I don't know. <laughs> I love the fact that you just had to sign the thing to get rid of the woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I, she just would not leave us alone until I, I signed something and not been able to think of his real name till later on. I just signed it in Bill and she was perfectly happy with that and went away quite happy. <laughs> Ian, great to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Love the show. Uh, one final mistaken identity story from Jamie Robbins who says, guys, I was talking to my boss a few years ago about the Super Bowl halftime show and that Bruno Mars would be performing. Uh, he's done well for himself, coming from Essex, says his boss. It took me a few minutes to realise he was thinking volumers. <laughs> Right, all this week, celebrating the spookiest season of all, thanks to Discovery Plus, uh, by giving you the chance to win a stream-to-screen bundle by hearing your scariest paranormal stories. Uh, This includes a 55-inch HD smart TV, your Bluetooth soundbar, your Google Chromecast to watch your Discovery Plus uh, for a year and more. Uh, To win, all you have to do is tell us your paranormal stories at absoluteradio.co.uk and we'll be bringing some of the scariest ones to air on the show to win. The full T's and C's are on our website, absoluteradio.co.uk. Two people who have done just that are uh, Jane and Naomi. Uh, Let's uh, chat with uh, Jane first. Hello, Jane, you right? Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're good. Where are you, Jane? I'm in Oxford. Okay, so you're scaring for Oxford and we've got Naomi on the other line. Hi, Naomi, where are you? Hi, I'm in Woking. Okay, I wonder what is the scariest place out of Oxford and Woking. We're going to find out, I guess. Uh, we're going to find out. I, I'm, I'm imagining Oxford, older buildings, Woking, maybe a little bit newer, but to dis- to discuss... Cobbled streets and fog in Woking. <laughs> uh, right, Jane, uh, you are up first with your spooky story. Uh, tell us. Okay, it wasn't actually in Oxford, to be fair. It was in Northampton, and it was many years ago on a school trip. Yeah, and where we were staying was an annex away from the main house and it was above like a hall and you went upstairs to get to two adjoining bedrooms and me and two friends were in one room and the teacher and two of my other friends were in the other room okay and for whatever reason i don't know in the dead of night we'd been there about two or three days i woke up i was laying on my side and I sort of, my eyes grew accustomed to the darkness and I looked and my friend Diana was kneeling at the bottom of my bed with her back to me. Oh, my God. And I just thought, and she had like a red tartan blanket around her shoulders, but I just kind of whispered, Diana, are you okay? And I, I swear, <laughs> she lifted off the floor. Oh, and my. floated backwards towards the head of my bed where I was. I was beyond scared. Floating Diana. I just, I just, it was it was terrifying, and I just went under the blankets, and I stayed there all night. I bet you did. And I did not move until I heard voices and all my friends getting up, and I instantly went to Diana, because she was in the other room. She wasn't even in the room with me. Wow. And she swore up and down it wasn't her. So she had and... no memory of levitating at the end of your bed? 
Absolutely none at all. Wow. None at all. She'd be, she'd be a good value for money on a night out, though, wouldn't she? <laughs> well, from then on, we were terrified. We were, Beds were pushed together. It was, you know... And, and T- tether Diana to the foot of her bed so she can't float <laughs> off anywhere. <laughs> that is scary. That's a pretty yep. scary one. Naomi is waiting in the wings to scare us with her story from Woking. Uh, Naomi, go for it. Yeah, so um, this happened when I was at uni um, in Nottingham, living in a student house with some friends. We lived in a three-storey Victorian terrace house, kind of had the usual sort of creepy basement, creaky floorboards and whatnot. Um, I had the only bedroom downstairs, and so I got to kind of know all the creeps pretty quickly of people moving around. But the only thing was this started to happen when no one was in, so furniture being dragged and thrown across the rooms could be heard throughout the house, and when you'd go and inspect the rooms, all the furniture was where it should be. There started being cool breezes where these heavy curtains would be moving and swaying with the windows and doors not open. There'd be breezes that um, would catch your hair. So in the first few months of living there, I actually got pushed up the stairs and it was just like this big force coming down on top of me and I couldn't move. I was just laying on the stairs, like a big weight on me. Um, And this happened quite a few times to me and my friends throughout our time at the house. We always felt like we were being watched um, and hated spending time alone in the house. So when I was at university, I had problems getting out of bed and getting downstairs as well. (laughs) I think we might have been haunted too. (laughs) Um, So one night I was actually working on my laptop, the internet cut out, I went and checked the Wi-Fi box, Um, what did I find? The router was completely unplugged from the wall, but there was no one else home apart from me. It wasn't just kind of secluded to us either, so when my boyfriend would come and stay, he started having night terrors. Um, in the house as well, he would um, wake up and say things like, and um, there's children writing our names in blood on the wall. Oh, my and word. He was, he was absolutely petrified by this, and obviously I was as well. Like, I couldn't couldn't sleep in the house. It's a terrifying story. Terrifying. We've had two there. We've had Levitating Diana. We've had the ghost that's pulling rooters out of walls. Uh, we have got to make a decision. <laughs> uh, some incredibly terrifying stories from the brilliant Jane and Naomi, and we've been deliberating as to which one was the most frightening. Uh, we had the levitating Diana from Jane. Uh, we had the ghost pulling out uh, the uh, router uh, from Naomi. Uh, but Jane, congratulations. You've won a stream really? to scream bundle. We were freaked out. Really? So am I still to this day. Thank you. I am shocked. I thought Naomi's was like bow scary. Well, I tell you what, don't, don't oh, thank, thank us. You. Thank floating Diana, the, the <laughs> protagonist of your story. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I thank her constantly. <laughs> well oh, done, thank Jane. You guys. Thank you. All thanks to Discovery well. Post. We've got your next chance to win tomorrow. You can head online to absoluteradio.co.uk. Tell us your ghostly stories for the chances to win. All the terms and conditions are there too. And it's all thanks to Discovery Plus, where you can stream a multitude of exclusive originals and bingeable box sets this Halloween. show that has a radio station for every decade and right now it's time to jump through time you are now traveling on a trip into the unknown in a long dark tunnel through time the years fly past age ceases to exist where will you land will you ever return to your own time only bush and richie can save you now as you travel through the decades Tesco Mobile. One of you could be winning some cold hard cash thanks to our friends at Tesco Mobile. 
as we debut our brand new competition through the decades. Can you answer a question from each of the Absolute Radio Decade stations to bag yourself £500? On the line, our first ever contestant for this game, which we're very, very excited about. Welcome to the show, Graham. Hello, Ray Bush. Hello, Richie. How are you both doing? We're good, Graham. How are you? Yeah, I'm excellent. I'm excited. And uh, being a bit of a guinea pig should be uh, interesting to see how the next few minutes go. Are we, we, him being the first contestant, Richie, we should get him like a, a blazer and badge set. Or yes. a tie with it you know, embossed into it or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, that's right. Send it on. Well, what we do have for you, Graham, is is not necessarily the uh, the badge and the blazer, but we do have some rules for you. Yeah. Uh, here we go. We're going to give you seven questions, one from each of our sister stations, Absolute Radio, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s, and the present day, uh, you will have 60 seconds on the clock uh, to get all of those seven questions correct. You can't pass on a question, however... And when the time's up, the game ends. All that makes sense to you? Yeah, it does, yeah. Graham, I just want to warn you, and you have signed the documentation, uh, if you don't do the full-time continuing loop and get back to the decade that you started with, you will be trapped in that decade for the rest of your life. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Graham, which of all those decades would you like to start in? Um, I would go for the 70s, please. All right. Let's start in the 70s. let's, Let's calibrate the machinery. Good luck, Graham. Through the decades. Which rock band released A Night at the Opera in 1975? Queen. Correct. 80s. Who played Hans Gruber in the 1988 movie Die Hard? Oh, God. I haven't got a clue. Um, You can guess. Die Hard, Die Hard. I never saw it. I don't know. Name some 80s ca- uh, characters, actors. Um, Schwarzenegger, um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, um, Harrison Ford. Jeez. Uh, closer um, to home, closer to home. One of our own. One of our own. Michael Caine. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. This has been going very well. Um, oh. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, uh, the pressure. Yeah, I think I'm going to be stuck in the 80s for the rest of my life, yeah? Oh! Yeah. Time is up. You're a loser, and you have lost. You are indeed oh, stuck in the 1980s. Stuck in coal mines due to Alan Rickman. R- Alan Rickman oh. was the answer, and that is you trapped... I've never got it. ...three-day working week in crimped hair. Yeah. Yeah, no. do, you want, do you want us to pass a message on to the rest anyone in your family because obviously you are trapped in the 80s now <laughs> well you know some of the music was good in the 80s you know try and get in the crowd try and get in the crowd for Wogan or something like that and <laughs> wave or something. It, yeah. pass a message on <laughs> okay I'll do that yeah <laughs> uh, it's an honour to welcome to the show Stephen Merchant thank you very much it's an honour to be here welcome to home time uh, let's just let's start straight away with this people must be wondering uh, if you've come on the show to clarify the situation of one of your uh, lorries getting stuck in Bristol Harbour as the spokesperson <laughs> is that why you're on <laughs> yes finally they've wheeled me out <laughs> to address the fact that one of our lorries did indeed end up in Bristol Harbour one of our um, costume trucks yeah sort of 50 foot long 
And that's just for my shoes. Um, (laughs) Was that a reversing situation? I'm still not clear exactly what happened. I think the way it ended up in Bristol Harbour was that some protesters thought it was a racist statue. Yes, chuck him in. (laughs) And um, (laughs) in it went. So, so, yeah, I I know we still don't quite know how, how that happened. But luckily... Well, mainly no one was hurt, which is obviously yeah, the yeah, priority. Yeah. Mm. But but secondly, um, we had just we, literally that was the morning after the final night of shooting. Yeah. So even though the the costumes, which it was a costume, the costumes got wet and and um, and I think you know a few, I'm sure some people's handbags and things. Luckily, it uh, you know at least we'd finished filming. <sighs> this was one of the first things I wanted to actually ask you as someone who uh, has little or no experience of working in television uh, through lack of skill really <laughs> um, the article this this article about your your trailer at the end said it is thought the production finished at five o'clock in the morning on the Thursday and I'm sat there thinking well hang on this is going out on Monday night were you one of these lads that left handing in homework to the very last minute? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you, poor child. Here's what happened. Um, no, what happened was, in all seriousness, what happened was uh, that we were only going to do one series. Yeah. And we started filming last year in about March time. Oh, well, well yeah. you can see what happened there. <laughs> yeah. Like so many other productions, COVID shuttered the production. We got 10 days into filming and we closed down. And everyone was thinking, oh, we'll start again soon, no problem, like so many people did. And there was part of me that was thinking, I don't think we're going to be starting anytime soon. Mm. I think this is going to go on for a while. So I said to the BBC, look, I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to be sat at home. Can I write another series while we're waiting to start and finish the first? And after some moaning and ironing, they decided, yes. Yeah. So what ended up happening was, during lockdown, we wrote the second series. So when we came back... We filmed two series back to back. So the series that's airing tonight is the first series, and we've just finished filming the second. Brilliant. So, um, and it's that's a little presumptive of you. Well, it is presumptive, but also it turns out it's the worst idea in the world (laughs) because we've now made twelve hours of television during a pandemic, and it turns out it's quite tricky. Well, let's let's talk about Outlaws. Your your amazing new uh, comedy based in your hometown of Bristol. As someone who lived in Bristol for about 10, 12 years myself, the the sight of seeing Christopher Walken in the Sea Mills Community Centre is an amazing thing. Let's yes. start with that. And how on earth did you get uh, Christopher Walken involved and what a legend he is? He'd always wanted to work with me. <laughs> yeah. um, no, he'd never heard of me. But um, we managed to get in touch with him. He doesn't have a mobile phone or a cell phone uh, or an e- email or a computer or anything. So we had to, I'm not joking, we had to fax him the script. Oh, wow. Uh, it's quite hard to find a fax machine at the BBC now. Yeah, I that's think the amazing. last fax that was sent from the one we found was Mr. Blobby's Rider, <laughs> um, which is just uh, blow up dolls. But um, we, uh, we, got in the, we got in the script and he said, uh, would you come to uh, Connecticut where he lives to talk about it? So I flew all the way there. And we wow. had this uh, very long... He's a very thoughtful, meditative guy. He's not a big talker. He just likes to ask a question, really think about it, really take in the answer. So he'd ask me a question, I'd answer, go very quiet, just stare at the window. Long pause. He'd ask me another question, I'd answer, long pause. And there was a moment where... It, I, it, was, it was a bit like having a Zoom conversation in person. <laughs> like, I never knew if he'd frozen or not. Or if it, you know, have you, are you thinking or are you buffering, <laughs> Chris? And, um, and eventually, he, after about four hours... Um, he'd asked all his questions and he decided he would come to Bristol to make the show and so Amazing. it was just extraordinary because you can never quite imagine as a kid you're growing up loving films in loving someone like that that he would one day show up in your hometown and actually make this show and but it was kind of extraordinary you took him to Stonehenge as well didn't you well we asked him is there anything you want to do while you're in the West Country and he said I've always wanted to watch the sunset over Stonehenge and so oh. we managed to arrange to take him to Stonehenge we went down there and again, like I say, he's a very quiet man. So we were there for about an hour, and the fr- and the only thing he said is eventually, after about an hour, he said, "I can't, I can't do an impression, but I wish I could." But he said, um, "Apparently, the blue stones." have healing properties. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, wow, right, okay. He goes, uh, he said to the woman um, who was showing us around, can I touch one? And it was so British, she went, no. <laughs> and he's like, he's 78 years old, he's come 3,000 miles. They're like, can he touch a blue stone? Definitely not. And I took her to us, I took her aside, I'm like, you can't let Christopher Walken touch a stone. And she's like, we don't let anyone touch them. I'm like, how do you enforce that? Do you take them in at night? <laughs> and uh, no, but she, would, she wouldn't let him touch the stone. But uh, but anyway, he did he did enjoy the visit and we did get to see the sunset together. Oh, like oh. Stonehenge. Yeah. All set around um, a group of a group of characters doing community service, but an idea, as I understand, that comes from a bit of personal experience from yourself. Not that you've spent the time doing it yourself. I've not done much community service or indeed prison time, but um, but my mother also hasn't. But she was involved <laughs> when I was growing up. She would she would supervise community service offenders and for those who aren't really familiar with it it's obviously if you do sort of minor crimes a drink driving charge or something like that you don't always obviously you don't go to prison necessarily you do community service 120 130 hours of that picking up rubbish or painting a shed or whatever and she used to be in charge of the people doing that and she would tell me the stories about the sort of people that came through uh, her door and i always thought there was such an unusual mix of people and um in fact one of them was a, a kid i went to school with uh, Dave, who uh, was always coming in and out, and he was he was Bristol's laziest criminal. I'm not I'm not making this up. One time he got arrested trying to steal a TV from someone's house, and the homeowners came back and they went, "Dave, what are you doing?" And he went, "I'm not Dave." And they went, yeah, you are. You live next door. <laughs> and I was thinking, at least go one road over. <laughs> and he got, he got, and anyway, he'd always be coming through. He was always very polite. Went, Hello, Mrs. Merchant. How's Stephen? Oh, he's doing his A-levels. What have you been up to? Nick Intel is again. <laughs> and so, yeah, so anyway, and there were people like him, and then, you know, I could be a teacher that was doing it, or an old guy who'd been stealing cabbages from allotments. And I thought, what if you put all those characters together? Yeah. It's an unusual mix of people. And then, because they're already criminals, you can sort of give it a, a, like a thriller storyline as well. So it's a sort of comedy drama with a thriller spine. To it. And, you know, some iconic locations. We mentioned the Seam Mills Community <laughs> Centre. Right. Were these places that you had in mind? I think, oh, this, this would be perfect here. Or did you have to go back again to, you know, and, and scout out some places? Well, for... I felt like I knew Bristol quite well, obviously, having grown up there. And um, a lot of people don't realise that Bristol, you don't think of that as an obvious place to have a crime story. But actually, in 2019, Bristol was voted the cocaine capital of, of uh, Europe. It's good to be in which the Which I'm very... We're, we're, we're charts, all very proud of down there. <laughs> Bristol's basically famous for three things, which is crack and Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> and uh, we're all deeply honoured uh, about that. But, um, but because there is, there has always been, even when I was growing up, a kind of... There was obviously a seamier... You know, because it's a city, so there's a kind of crime underbelly, but there's also, you know, this rich, sort of gentrified Clifton, and there's kind of yeah. suburbia, and there's like an inner city part. So I thought, oh, it's quite a good place for for a kind of crime story. And I, like you say, I felt like I knew where the characters would live and yeah. where they would shop, and and so uh, yeah, it was it was just yeah. It, hopefully, we've made it another character in the show. Yeah, that was the aim. I, and yeah, and obviously you had the the premiere at the watershed on the harbour just before your truck reversed yes, into right. it, which yes. is a fantastic place as well, isn't it? That was great. It was lovely. I mean, I'd gone there to see comedy and films growing up. I remember seeing Eddie Izzard there, and I remember watching a lot of films there. And so the idea of sort of going back for the finally and being able to sort of have a premiere at that place that I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I got into this business. There was, there was always something quite nice about that. I'm, I'm welling up as I think about oh, it. Bless. <laughs> when you talk about the experience of, like, your mum working and, and supervising these, these these people doing the community service, did you find as, uh, as a child that uh, your parents' punishments for you <laughs> then rubbed off and you had some very creative punishments? Do you know what? I... Th- 
this is going to shock you because when you think about Steve Merchant, you think rock and roll. <laughs> you think troublemaker, <laughs> you know, enfant terrible. Bit of a maverick. Bit of a maverick. Yeah. But um, I was I was pretty straight laced. I very I almost <laughs> never did anything in order to be punished. I would be, the, the sternest punishment I remember receiving from my dad was, it was Christmas Day, and I was very excited about watching The Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond <laughs> film. And, you know, in those days, it was like, you know, we didn't even have a VHS, so it was like, if you didn't watch it when it started at 2 o'clock, you were going to miss it. And I was very excited about this. And uh, we finished the Christmas lunch, and my dad said, you and your sister, go and wash up. And I went, no, I want to watch James Bond! And I just stormed it, just sat in front of the telly. And my dad came and he grabbed me and my sister, and he dragged us back, and he threw us in front of the washing up. And he was like, your mother spent an hour making that meal. Why don't you do the washing up when I tell I was thinking, you haven't got involved. You haven't lifted a finger. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he made me wash up uh, during The Spy Who Loved Me. And um, by the time I joined it, it was like an hour in. I didn't know what was going on. I One of those kids who couldn't start a film once you'd missed the beginning. Oh, yeah. So that, and I, I'll tell you that, I always did the washing up after that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. Oh, You've my goodness. caught up on that film now, yeah? <laughs> oh, since then, it's become my uh, okay. favourite Bond film. <laughs> yeah. oh, don't worry about that. Uh, and speaking of your dad, I was just looking on your Twitter feed and he, he's part of a really amazing campaign to save an old Art Deco cinema in Bristol. Is it well, Red yeah. Hill? Well, that's right. Apparently, again, this was something he's he's um, suddenly got involved with um, is that they, they, they I guess there was a, there's, a, there's a Weatherspoons pub and um, in the back of it they discovered a uh, an old cinema Oh, wow. And the Weatherspoons is being sold. I don't know why. I don't know how my dad found this place. I don't know if he was in Weatherspoons, you know, sort of having a fight, <laughs> and um, and found it in the back there. But um, yeah, now the campaign is to try. It's an Art Deco cinema that he remembers in the sixties going to. It looks amazing. It's so, almost yeah. like frozen in time. That's isn't right, it? exactly. So I think the, the the campaign is to try and kind of restore it because they make and, flats on everything these days, don't they? Everything turns into a, a block of flats. Well, that's the thing, and and, and I think what so there's so many creative people now, particularly Bristol, but everywhere is doing this, where they're finding those old spaces and reinventing them, and it doesn't necessarily have have to be a cinema it could be like a community space there's lots of ways of utilizing it but instead of it just like you say just all that kind of history and that and that beautiful architecture just getting wiped away for sort of anonymous flats yeah um it's i just feel like yeah you oh wait go and live in your car we need a we need an art cinema <laughs> uh, in the office as well i was just reading the office got uh, voted in was it top 10 in the top 100 comedies it was number nine number nine yeah to, we've, we've slipped i mean we i remember the days when we were number one <laughs> Time things change over time. And speaking of changing over time, we had Ben Miller in the other week, and we we're talking about Armstrong and Miller, which is a, which is a great kind of sketch show. He was saying uh, quite steadfastly that he doesn't think that show could be made these days. Comedy is ever changing. How do you feel about? Do you think The Office could be made like the way that you and Ricky made it, as we are today? And how I'm not saying how sensitive people are, but I guess I am saying that as well. I definitely think it would be a harder a harder pitch. Yes, and I think probably yes, it could get made. But I think, like you say, I think it would. It would have had to have been different. I think people would have been jumpy about the idea of a of a boss who is kind of inappropriate and and is and and if you think about it, even at the time, you know, it was about a person who, you know, at the time when we made that sort of political correctness was a sort of buzzword, and there was this idea of kind of management training in offices to sort of teach people how to be less offensive and more sensitive. And so even then, that was going on. So yeah. the, the show was about acknowledging the way that there were people of a certain generation that just couldn't adapt and tried to and were sort of out of step with things. So in that sense, I think it still is relevant. But I just think now I think that people would just be jumpy about sort of areas that you could go into for comedy. As know? a writer, though, is that is that, that uh, restricting or, or frustrating or makes you feel a bit sad? Or how, how do you feel about it? Well, I, th I think what I, my feeling is sort of that, you, you know, even when we did The Office, you, you're always sort of policing yourself a bit. You're trying to be sensitive 
Um, and yes, I'm, I, obviously I've learned a lot over the years since that's 20 years ago now. But um, but I'm, I'm, we've never done anything kind of irresponsibly. So even now I think, well, as long as I'm sort of approaching something with a responsible sort of sensitive approach, I still feel that, you know, most things should be allowed, you should allow, you should be allowed to explore them in comedy. Yeah. And it's up to you to sort of try and do it carefully and sensitively. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, same industry that we're in, you've got this kind of thing in you that's like, hopefully going to stop you from going over the line right. a little bit with it as well. You'd hope so. You would, <laughs> we'd hope so, but you, you, you do, because you, you, you know that if you cross that line, it's also, it's you that's crossed it and there's, there's circumstances. Well, I'm also quite, I'm not, uh, again, despite the fact that you think of me as a sort of maverick, you've heard you've heard the the Spy I, Love Me story. I, yes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm capable of. <laughs> but I'm quite. I think in the end, I quite I'd quite like the idea of sort of people liking me. And I'm not a sort of I'm not a punk rock kind of person. You know, I'm not someone who wants to sort of give you the finger and upset you particularly. Yeah, I would rather that you enjoyed what I did rather yeah. than, than take a face. And just talk about us behind our back. Well, that's that's, that's, the, way face. I, that's the way. Yeah, I it's more awkward, things. isn't it? Yeah. We would like your opinion on something else right now, and it, it is I something that could... <laughs> <laughs> he was worried. Yeah. It is a clothing question, actually. Uh, we run here on the Home Time Show the Big Coat Protocol, uh, the protocol that lets uh, the UK know when it is right and proper uh, to put on their big coats and turn on the central heating. <laughs> We're under a lot of pressure at the moment, but are still feeling that it's, it's still just about light jacket required. Where do you stand on this? It's tricky, that isn't it? Because we've had a very varied temperature where there have been a few days where I thought the big coat had to came had to come out, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have I've brought the big coat out once or twice without without uh, without your permission. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. I have, I have had to bring it out a couple of times, but that was also because I was filming. I was doing night shoots. There you go. It gets very chilly, so I don't know if that counts. And as a taller man, I always remember my mum saying, "You've got to look after your kidneys as long as your kidneys are covered." <laughs> Just cover your kidneys. <laughs> is that a thing? I never. That's what I was told. Now is she is she a qualified GP or <laughs> is she a doctor in the sense of Dr. Dre? She was a PE teacher and uh, oh they, well they, then she's a smart <laughs> lady. They would have you out in any kind of weather. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, no, I I I um, it's very hard to find a coat that's long enough for me. I can say so. Yeah, my my parents always it was always important to kind of you know have the thermals, long coat. You don't want to draft getting up because you got a lovely coat on the moment, a kind of bond uh, bond on a day off coat. I would say that. Yeah, is. Daniel Craig, if he's got. A sort of climb into a into a window. <laughs> exactly. You know, Break yeah. and enter. By, yeah, exactly. Uh, by Umbro. That's um, right. <laughs> but what, when you go big coat, what is your big coat go to? Puffer jacket or I've got I've got a puffer, but no, I like a like a sort of long, kind of proper old school um, sort of woolly overcoat. Do you know what I mean? And I remember um, when I was growing up, for years, my dad, every, every Christmas, my, my um, grandparents would say to my dad, what, what do you want for Christmas? And he'd say, I'd love a, like, a nice big warm overcoat. <laughs> and honestly, my grand, every year she'd go, your dad will be so dead soon. Just wait for his. Meaning my granddad, <laughs> your, your dad will be dead soon. Just wait for his. I mean, he must have waited about 15 years for that coat. I mean, finally the, di- the guy died and he, and he was warm that Christmas. But, um, but yeah, so... Um, no, but it's, it's always been a big thing in our house, you know, a warm coat. Yeah. As a tall man, and, and coated as well, I'm, not something I've planned on asking, but it, it fascinates me. For, you are obviously distinctive. You know, if I saw you walking down the street, I'd know instantly it's Stephen Merchant. Yeah. But because of that, do you have a go-to disguise to try and sort of not be so distinctive, to be able to pop to one stop and go and get some toothpaste and not have people go, it's Stephen Merchant? Well, it's tricky. The height is the issue. It is, see, isn't Because that's the problem. Because, you know, I'm six foot seven, so you end up... Shoes on knees? <laughs> yeah, but it's... Ju- I mean, it, it, that can seem offensive nowadays. <laughs> Again, you know, times to, have to, changed. To, to lose the treks <laughs> of the world. Um, yes, no, it is tricky. I, um, Funny enough, I felt like even before I was on the telly, 
I was people would always point and look and laugh at me anyway, just for being tall. <laughs> right. There's something about being very tall that people just feel they can comment on endlessly anyway. It's it's seen as an achievement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not if you're very short, people understand that it brings difficulties with it and they're quite sensitive to it. But when yeah. you're very tall, they think like somehow you had an involvement in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you've exercised. Look at the height of you. He's got and shot. So they can make a kind of snide comment. So I suppose in a way I I almost felt like getting on into show business, they were going to look at me anyway. So why yeah. not and sort of point at me and go, oh, it's that guy from that thing, as opposed to, oh, it's the freak from down the lane. And hope that they liked it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hope they liked it, yeah. Oh, well, listen, it's been an honour having you on the show. It's always brilliant to have you on. Uh, make sure you check out Outlaws. It's on telly tonight. Stephen Merchant, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so there was, there was the that. podcast. <laughs> there was that. <laughs> there was that. It's a real shame. It's a real shame that on uh, a show where you have heard, and you guys, because you've heard the podcast, you've heard the full chat that we had with Stephen Merchant. You've heard the debut on the podcast tonight of our brand new daily quiz. And it's a real shame that on such a momentous show, uh, it's been mired in ill feeling uh, from the beginning of the podcast and the cancelling of Adem's gems. Obviously, he's he's absolutely inconsolable about it. Um, he's just going to need his space and time and please uh, respect his privacy as he deals with this quite difficult news.